You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In the Open. Um, it's Teresa in America. Hi, everyone. And today we're going to talk about how do I tell someone about my mental health issues or asking for help? How do I ask for help? And with us today, we actually have a guest, Raquel. Raquel, do you want to tell our audience about yourself? Hi, everyone. I am Raquel Kelly. I am a mom, a producer, and uh, writer and author of the book, Where'd I Go?, which is a, a lift the flat book for moms, not babies. And I'm really excited. It's coming out June 7th. And a portion of the proceeds go to you guys, Mental Health America. So I'm so excited to be on today talking all things book and my mental health journey. Awesome. So let's dive right in about talking to somebody about our mental health. Do either of you guys remember the first time you told somebody about your mental health issues that wasn't like in your own brain? I can remember the conversation with my husband is who I said, we, I have a problem. We have a problem. Mm. But I was so used to being the rock and support system for everyone else. We have you know, it runs in the genes in my family. So there's a lot going on. And so I was used to being the person to, you know, be the support system, be working with doctors, helping others. So when I was going through it myself after my second with postpartum depression, it was an odd feeling being on the other side, being on the other side of, as someone who now needed the help. I was reflecting on this question actually with a friend who is my friend who first introduced me to mental health issues when we were in our teens. Oh, wow. And she had debilitating anxiety. Like she could not not talk about it. But I remember when I met her, I was I was telling her last like at dinner recently, like you were my first person who helped me understand what was going on in my brain, like the chaos of my life. But even at that age, as a teenager, I didn't have the voice to tell her, like, thank you for saving my life. And I feel like what you're saying is resonating with me, but I don't even know how to put it into words, like why I feel so safe or heard or that you're helping me understand something because she just talked about it almost because she couldn't help it and we were safe with each other. But I don't think, and her mother had depression. I think her mother was very good about having a culture in their family of talking about mental health issues. So you're like, man, as an adult, if you don't have historical exposure to what these words are, or what they mean, I think it's really hard to even know what's happening to you before you ever tell somebody like, oh, I think I need help. Yeah. Before yeah. you even phrase it that way in your brain and your mind. Yeah. Nothing in my brain says this is the moment. And it might be because I don't think there was like this aha, like, oh my God, I have to tell someone. It was just a natural part of conversation. And it probably was with my parents mm -hmm. because I've always had a very open relationship with them. And I was like, I need to go to therapy. Yeah. How old were you? Probably in my 20s. What stuck out to me, though, from what Raquel said was, you said, I have a problem. And then you said, we have a problem. And 
I, I, so the question is, did you actually say that? Did you say we have a problem? Oh, yes. Because if there's one thing, so I feel like growing up, uh, Teresa, I can relate to going, we didn't phrase our issues as like mental health issues. I feel like now, thankfully, people are talking more about the topic. So we know how to discuss it and understand what it is. I feel like growing up, it was more like, uh, this is just how people are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's just more about like navigating, well, this person's this way and this person's that way. Like it it wasn't like a mental health conversation. But for me in college is where the issues with my family really hit. And that's when it was oh, this is an illness that we're dealing with and we're dealing with hospitals and doctors. And that was the first time that there was, you know, a label to it and we had to educate ourselves. But I, oh gosh, I found out very hard then that just because you aren't the person who is suffering doesn't mean you aren't affected. And it affects everyone. It affects sons, daughters, husbands, wives. It affects everyone who is either helping support the person. And I ended up needing to get to, to go to therapy in order to support, you know, my family. So it is a we problem, not just a me problem when it comes to, to these issues. Which is true. And I think people who are struggling with their own mental health concerns kind of know that. And that's part of why telling someone about your mental health issues is so hard. I remember not wanting to tell my family because the way we talked about mental illness in my family was so not healthy. It was mm -hmm. like ex-cousin or blah, blah, blah. Correct. Like, Correct. you know, they have that problem. And like now as an adult, I'm like, seriously? I know. I know. What the hell? So many of the people who were speaking poorly about other people had so many of their own problems. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and I come from a really small town in Ohio, and a lot of it is, oh, God, oh, we don't want people to know. We don't want people mm -hmm. to know. You don't want to be labeled as crazy. We don't want to be labeled as like the crazy one in town. And that's what you're thinking. And so you're afraid to share and you're afraid to speak out for fear of being labeled with that stigma for the rest of your life. I think too, though, that that's cultural as well. And this idea of the way that we talk, the phrasing that we use, use like, oh, they're just struggling. Struggling with what? You know, like, what mm -hmm. are they having trouble sleeping? No, it's like, that's just the word. And it's like, no, they are not just sad. They have depression. It's like, and there, yes. that requires some education. But there is a lot of unknowns in how somebody will react when you really come out and say, you know, I really don't know what's wrong, but I know there's something going on that I need help with. And I think sometimes that idea of, not having a label can be a, a stepping stone to help guide people to help you figure out, I, I just need your support, right? And kind mm -hmm. of going through that. Yeah. I do think that there is a lifespan thing, you know, because mm -hmm. it's so hard to tell someone when you're young, you don't have a lot of control over your life. It's scary to disclose who or how do you tell this person that you need help we all 
did not reach out for help until we were older. Oh, yeah. And that's, I think, traditionally true for people our age, but our audience tracks younger and they do a better job of creating a better universe than I think we do. So, like, good job, youngsters. Good job. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Shout out to most of our users here. I think most of them are younger and they're wrestling with these things at an earlier age. And a lot of that's the internet. The internet offers a space to bring education faster, but also what does that mean? So now we have 15-year-olds who are saying like, okay, I have to tell somebody about my mental health. And the whole internet is saying like, oh, if you think you have a problem, go talk to a trusted adult. Mm -hmm. And this is what this is where the internet stops. I don't find that it has a lot of good advice to tell young people how to talk to a trusted person or an adult. Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so glad, especially my God, we've lived through a pandemic. <laughs> like, you know, no one has ever experienced before, you know, all of these added issues and especially our youth, especially everything that has also been stacked upon what is difficult enough in adolescence and childhood. So you know, I'm glad there are resources. I know for certain loved ones, they feel more comfortable texting, right? I think also it's understanding what options you have in terms of therapy or in terms of reaching out. It doesn't have to just always be like, oh, let me go see this doctor, right? Some people, I found, you know, my loved one who is like, I just like to text and that feels comfortable and and that's how I can express myself best. So it's understanding the options that you have and that and finding what feels most comfortable to you to express yourself. Yeah, I think that sticks out. I have a cousin who only communicates with me with memes. Um, <laughs> that's it. Never ne if there is a, a point I'm like, how are you? Meme. And it's like, okay, I know you're okay you're alive and you're doing what you're doing. Right. So I think you do have to take that into account. One of the things I was going to ask you though, Raquel, is when, when you started experiencing symptoms, you know, earlier on, were you informed of what that could look like? Or did you just, you just didn't have any idea of what was happening? I did. So after my second child, you know, I feel like you read the pamphlets, you go to your six week appointment, your doctor asks you like, are you down? Do you, are you experiencing, you know, and it just feels very formulaic and you're almost ashamed to say yes, because you don't, for me, it felt like it was tied to my ability to be a mother and a good mother. I'm using air quotes for everyone on the podcast, a good mother in my mind, right? Because it, it meant admitting fault and it meant admitting you're not okay. And we also hear the term baby blues. So you think, well, you know, this, it is a lot. It's so much. I'm going through it again for the third time <laughs> currently, but I, you know, and I have to prepare myself because it is a ton at the beginning, the sleep deprivation, the exhaustion, you know, so I feel like those early weeks, you can kind of chalk it up to just being tired and being exhausted. And it's hard to decipher, like, mm. is this postpartum depression? Is this just part of it? Is it going to fade away? And for me, it didn't fade away. It got worse. And so we ended up moving back to Ohio, where we were from, from Los Angeles, 
And I think it was just every, it was hard enough, a big move across the country, let alone with a three-month-old and a 20-month-old and uprooting your life and then living with your parents again. I mean, it was just a very, (laughs) you're having like a really successful career and you're like, oh, God, what have I done? Like, what have I done? And it just, it began to sink in. And so, you know, that's where the book came from is after the move, the book stems from that identity crisis of where'd I go? Where'd I go in this motherhood thing? This this was the best move for my girls, for me personally, so that I could have family and I could have help. But it started to sink in about what about my dreams and my goals and my hope and and what I had hoped for my ambition and my career. So that's what the book is based on. But I feel like I knew obviously what postpartum depression was, but I was kind of in denial at the beginning. But after the move, when things got very bad, when I finally, going back to the first question, the conversation I had with my husband, when I finally said it out loud that I don't want to wake up tomorrow, I go to bed hoping I will not wake up. And, you know, having those thoughts of being gone and feeling better for it, that 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 would happen, saying it out loud is when I said, I have a problem. We have a problem. I need to seek help. Yeah. When you have kids for the first time, you had to go home. I basically did the same thing. Maybe this happens for a lot of people. You have your first kid and you're like, forget it. I can't can't literally handle life like on my own. I just need to go. I never told my family like, I'm moving back because I'm horribly depressed and y'all need to save me. Yeah. I would always say I liken it to just feeling like you're drowning. And I was just feeling like I was drowning. And I wasn't thinking about myself or my career. I was just thinking, help me, get me, someone get me out of this, you know? Yeah. I remember when we created some tools to help people tell someone about their mental health, because there's a lot of anxiety sometimes if you think about trying to do this in a big way, especially if you know you need help, right? Like if you're a kid and you know you want to go to therapy, how do I tell my parents? And we like try writing a letter, clarify what your hope is, what your need is, you know, also work through your expectations. I think in the original Tell Us podcast, America, you and I talked about going to talk to your aunt, like the safe adult right? first before you go to tell others. But I think that those are very prescriptive. And and that's that's how that can look if you're planning, right? So if you happen to fall into this podcast, yes, there are things that you could do to fully plan out your disclosure. But I love that you just said what normally happens, which is you just say something is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And that's all you can say. Yeah. Like something is wrong. That's like how that moment of it coming out feels like where you just realize like, oh, I got to this limit and I couldn't take it anymore. And it's not changing. And now we're all going to just fall apart and something's wrong. Yeah. I think the idea of not having things progress for me, that that's always, you know, I'm a, for folks that listen to us and for folks that don't, my, my mind is always like the next thing I have to think about what's going to happen. And it's very hard for me to hit breaks on that. But when I'm not able to 
really put into words how I'm struggling. You can see it right through the actions that I'm taking and my behaviors. And I think it's useful, right? That people can come in and say, there is, I think there's something wrong with you. What can I help you with? Right. But the other side of it is that moment where just like, I, I know I need help. I don't even know what I need. I just know I need help. Mm-hmm. That place I think can feel very icky right? Because you're just like, God, I have to like show myself to somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's the scary part of it. But also being able to then say something about my experience, I remember feeling like a a weight was lifted. Yeah. You know, just letting it go. It's a vulnerable moment. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, we talk about telling loved ones, but I think there's also something so great about friendship as well. You know, for me, I really leaned on, I didn't know how hard motherhood was until I was in it, you know? So then I'm apologizing to my best friends who had kids before me, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't help you more, right? But it was leaning on the people who have been in it before and and feeling like I could talk to them about what I was going through. It's like people who, so even young children, you know, young kids who have friends who may be going through a certain experience that may be the same as them and just kind of leaning on those friends as well. I think friendship is important to be okay to talk about these issues with them. Okay. I have a question for both of you. So America and I have regularly talked about our personalities And one is like, are you a planner? So I think, America, I'm going to guess, if you were feeling distressed, are you you a planner and you get ahead of it? Like you feel safe and you have people who you go to and you're like, I'm going to talk about this early. Or do you hold it in because of the weight of the expectations of who you feel like you need to be? Oh, God, Teresa, that's a heavy question. (laughs) I think... I I hold it in just as long as I can be like, I have to make sure that this is what I really feel. Mm. Like I need some form of confirmation and then it gets too much. That, that inner conversation in my head, I'm like, okay, that's it. I have to tell somebody so that they can tell me if what this brain is telling me is right. So your trigger point for when you speak words is when your brain can no longer process and you know you need a, a second person to help yeah. you process. Okay, yes. Interesting. Raquel, how about you? Um, I'm a planner now. So from past experiences, I've learned, you know, as I now am currently pregnant with my third child, not to wait until things get so bad. It's like the more I can proactively seek help even when there's not an issue, I've found that that is more helpful than just waiting until I hit rock bottom. So I feel like I'm more of a planner now. It's been a very stressful year having to work this book. Oh my gosh, it's been like another child. I mean, anyone who writes a book can tell you it's like the amount of work and logistics and it's so much effort. And I've really had to keep in check um, my mental health. And I've had to, you know, growing a child, I'm not in charge of this body anymore. So I have had to just 
learn to slow down. And when my body, I always tell my kids and my husband, I'm hitting my wall. I'm hitting my mom is hitting the wall, guys. Like (laughs) I can feel it. No amount of, you know, caffeine or whatever is going to get me through (laughs) this. I just need to chill out. I need to turn off my brain. So I will go days without checking social media because I just, you know, when you just need a break from it, like you're like, Mm -hmm. I can't see it. I don't, I don't want any more voices. I just need to be. So like I found turning off that for me gives me the stillness that I need when there's so much going on in my life. Meditation is, oh, it's my saving grace. And I really, in this last pregnancy, have tried to work it in every day or when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I just take five minutes, listen to some, you know, Reiki music and that's it. But it really does help me um, when I feel the wheels starting to spin and the anxiousness, you know, starting to hit. I love that summary, actually, because I think it's really the key difference between the first time we tell someone about our mental health issues and the 15th time. You really highlight a key difference, which is like, you know, like the first time I told somebody I did not have the insight of the early warnings and how to plan appropriately. And it took a couple episodes in life to learn like, okay, what are your red flags? What are your triggers? What are your signs that you're not doing well? And how do you sense them? Like, how do I Mm -hmm. feel them in my body and in my Mm -hmm. brain in order to get to the healthiest place where you're like, okay, I'm not well, I need space, I need to do this, which is what we often don't do that first time. We just eat it, eat it, eat it until you explode or you, and this is why we end up going to the hospital, right? Or it's just like, Right. We've just been carrying the weight of all that responsibility without getting help or catching it early enough or saying it's okay, you know? So I love that summary. We've talked about this before how if, you know, you have a partner or boyfriend or whatever, a girlfriend, and we may have our period and you already start to recognize something's (laughs) happening, it's coming. (laughs) And I was, um, we were driving this weekend. With my fiance, and I was like, I'm just letting you know my period's coming this week. He was like, damn. <laughs> that's, he was like, that's so good, though, even that you that knew. So because some months, yeah. you know, and maybe that's a great metaphor for mental health because there are some months where you know and you yeah. can say it out loud. And there are some months where you know, but you don't ever say something out loud and then it's too late. Yeah. No, yeah. it's so funny you say that, America, because uh, my husband and I have been together for ever like so long and i've learned like our you know any issues would that we would have together would always be based around when i'm just like hormonal for no, for no reason so i feel like at later in life when i finally when you feel it come in i just like wave the flag right and it's like i'm just letting you know i'm about to start my period or i'm ovulating and so just giving you the heads up and he kind of like steers clear of me you know yeah. like okay give her her space or if she says something crazy that she's yeah. forewarned me but it does it helps it kind of cuz men you know especially they don't they they're not mind readers so the more you can just be like upfront and honest and say this is what is happening in my body the more they can go okay all right i know how to handle i know how to help you know totally. situation i really think that 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 idea where and it gets back to your question right teresa like the planning kind of i already i'm already insightful of what could happen 
So you do have to really learn from past experiences. But when you first start out on this journey, I think one of the hardest things is, is that that decision that you're making, like, is this, is it just me? Is it just like, if you're younger, I remember, I remember like, oh my God, why the hell can my, my thoughts just like be okay, you know? And yeah. you then have to weigh, is this, is this what's supposed to be happening? One thing that I also think is hard for some people is there are a lot of people out there who don't have somebody mm-hmm. to talk to. They're isolated or they or their situation is so extreme, like they're going through a lot. And maybe what you've experienced, you've alienated a lot of people in your life. And I'm just going to throw out there that a resource that we often send to people is a warm line. So if you're struggling with how to tell someone or feeling like you have a safe space to hear another human person's voice, that if you don't have a human being to go to, you're not alone. That happens for a lot of people we talk to. And certainly, I feel like all three of us would understand different times in our own lives where we did not feel like we had somebody safe to speak to that warm lines, warmline.org does exist to, to help serve that purpose. So, okay, we're heading to the end. I don't, do you guys want to give any final thoughts? I would say um, preparation does help, but it goes against most of my thinking that you should have a plan, you know, like that's just my brain all the time. You should have a plan and think about, no, sometimes you just got to say what you need to say and tell people, I don't even know, but I need help and I need your help. And even if you don't have someone There are people out there that are willing to listen. It may just take a little bit of time to find that. Yeah. I think what really popped out for me here was remembering that feeling of shame the first time disclosing and how powerful that can be and how that makes you afraid to talk to anybody about it. But once you kind of do it the first time, you realize people are really happy that you shared. And then you find a lot of people who want to talk to you about this kind of stuff. And you, and it feels so much better than sitting in that isolation space. So that's kind of what popped out for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think lots of times, you know, I will try to plan preemptively to, you know, get ahead of it. But sometimes like the most raw and vulnerable pieces of you are just blurted out right? They're just blurted out when you are have reached your point. And I think it is important to address those who have isolated themselves because that is very much a symptom of depression is isolating. And it's important to know the resources um, out there available to you. And like you said, Teresa, once you do let it out, it is like, oh, the floodgates of relief, of relief, knowing that you've You've done it. And then afterwards, you'll be able to talk to him. <laughs> I feel like once you do that, then you're like, the more therapy, the better. Like, I, I adore it. So it gets easier as it goes along. Awesome. And you mentioned a book. So I want to give you an opportunity to let everybody know about your work. Yes. So the book is called Where'd I Go? And it's a lift the flap board book. Um, But, you know, that's typically for babies, but it is for moms. And it is about the journey of motherhood, the highest highs and the lowest lows. I feel like it's such a beautiful mess. And I thought that this 
platform and making it in a lift the flat flat book form would be a great conversation starter with moms and with women. And, you know, my goal as a writer is to make hard things easy to talk about. So putting in a lift the flat book is just, you know, it's unassuming, it's approachable. But I've really, oh my gosh, just seeing people's reactions to it. Um, lots of people are crying, laughing, because, you know, that is the journey of motherhood, right? It's like, so amazing, yet so freaking hard, and just everything our bodies go through, our minds go through. So that's that's what the book is, and it's called Where'd I Go, which I touched on, and it's just about you know what I went through and trying to find myself in this whole uh, motherhood journey. Writing it is what helped me get through postpartum depression. It helped. This book is meant to be a gift book for moms, for showers, for friends, for the second, third, fourth baby, you know, but it's also been a gift to myself because it's reminded me of who I am and what makes me happy, which is writing. And so I really hope it helps other mothers look at themselves and and do the same. And a portion of the proceeds of the book go to Mental Health America because it is so important for me to not just bring up these issues, but I want to. I want readers. So, if there's a last page and there's a QR code on the back, and if readers scan that QR code, it will take them to a landing page where they can take the Mental Health America postpartum depression screening, which can then route them to the resources that they need, and then they also get a free subscription to the Mindful Mamas app, which is the number one self care and medica- meditation app for moms. So. I not only wanted to talk about these topics, but give readers the resources and tools that helped me get through them as well. So you can check out a link to the book. We'll add that to the podcast. And thank you, Raquel, for joining us today and sharing of yourself and your experiences and certainly for taking your experiences and writing them into a book which is yes. awesome. It sounds really fun, actually. So It is. It's fun, but it's it's also heartwarming and touching. So I hope people like Yay. it. You can pre-order it now where all books are sold, and it's out June 7th. So thanks, everybody, for having me on the show today. Thanks, Raquel. Do you want to sign us off? We normally sign off saying keep fighting in the open. All right, everybody. Keep fighting in the open. We'll see you next time.